I just, I just have some agita over anything that becomes obsessive cult-like. To recap for our millions of listeners, the last podcast, you said you have a list, uh, you have a list and, and on this list, no pickleballers. This is like your list of a perfect partner, no pickleball. And then that we got hate mail from across the nation. You came on today mm-hmm. to go on an apology tour uh-huh. and, and in your apology tour, you called them a cult. I did. This is, this is your apology? No, okay. come on. This okay. is a kind of apology. This is like, I get it, bro. <laughs> I, d- I don't hate you, bro. I just think, you know, I have some chest pain over anything that gets kind of obsessed. Uh, they get obsessed about it. It's obsessive. That's it. The hollow body. And we all. Well, thank you for that apology, Sylvia. Um, Let's move on to Jessica. Um, uh, how do you feel about pickleball? First of all, uh, well, shouldn't we, I think that's going to be our first folks? question. Shouldn't we tell folks first? Well, let's tell everyone who she is. Okay, okay so Jessica Nowoski, she served as a deputy chief of police in Mountain View with the Mountain View Police Department in California. She retired in 2021. She did some amazing things, served in a variety of assignments. She did a lot of amazing stuff. Um, she served on a planning committee for the William, William, come on, Moyer, the Women Leaders in Law Enforcement Symposium. She's been a presenter. She's been a coach. She's been a leader. I, we, we should actually post this uh, bio that she has in this incredible body of work so people can see it. I will merely say that Jessica does what she says she's going to do. She leads with character and with authenticity. And that drew her to start Athena coaching when she retired. So I'm just going to knock it off there and just say, Jessica Nowoski, you have been uh, someone that we've been watching and that we have been following for decades. So welcome to the Hollow Bunny podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and before before you a- answer the question about pickleballers from Kristen, I gotta say, uh, you know what a hollow bunny is, and briefly, it's somebody yeah. that looks shiny and full and is going to contribute, but yeah. you know they're empty, they're hollow, there's not much substance. Yeah. So here we go, let's kick this off. Let's hear the applause for Jessica Nawaski, who knows what a hollow bunny is. Welcome. Thank you. I am so excited to see both of you. I actually consider both of you um, influencers in my life and mentors to me. Um, so when I heard you guys were doing a podcast together, I did my little happy dance. I was so excited. So this is really cool. And then you listened to it and went, oh, God, that's terrible. It's <laughs> not true at all. <laughs> Hey, Jessica, for the record, we are considered explicit. So if a random F-bomb or something shoots out of your mouth, don't worry. This is not the kind of podcast people listen to when they're dropping their kids off at school. They listen when they drop the little, you know, miscreants (laughs) off at school and then they get real with us. So you just do you. Okay, cool. Thank you. So congratulations on your retirement. I know uh, I've already said that to you, but that uh, deserves a a congratulatory on the service to the citizens of Mountain View. And so I'm interested to know, because I actually don't know this, what was the transition into coaching and and mentoring? What was the idea behind that? Had you been doing it before and it was just a natural transition or was it something that you just stood up after your retirement? 
Yeah, so a little bit of both, actually. It was definitely um, a transition that started right, right after I promoted to captain in between 2014-15. And at the time, my chief uh, looked at me when I joined the, command, the exec staff and said, hey, we really need to focus on uh, leadership development throughout the organization. We had um, lots of uh, pending retirements in the next, you know, uh, two to three years and we saw you know we needed to really build a bench that was going to be able to come in behind those folks um, in those leadership roles and and take those positions and so i thought oh gosh this is the nudge i needed for my chief at the time to really explore what that next step was going to be for me so it launched me into uh, a master's program so within the master's program i did um, it was a leadership master's program with an emphasis on coaching and facilitation. And that was really my first introduction to, okay, what is this really going to look like? And I brought it into our organization and started teaching people coach-like skills for supervisors and managers for leadership development. And that was my first introduction. So I actually weaved it into the work I was doing internally within the police department and then later when i retired loved it so much and thought man this is really impactful work this is what i want to do so i went back to school i retired went back to a professional coaching program and um and just about to be certified in as a professional coach first of all that is amazing and second of all let's give some love to that chief that that you have just described because we have a mutual affection for that man so let's just drop his name because this is precisely why we started this hollow bunny podcast because i can tell you that max bosell is not a hollow bunny uh there i said his name but say a few words about that because he's the one that kicked this off for you and set you on a trajectory and i think it's so important that we talk about great leaders that push us in the right direction so max actually was right in that transition when i promoted i was actually with chief scott vermeer for six more months and then Max took over and continued looking at me going, let's do this. So he was the chief behind and supported all of the rollout, the initiative, my master's program. And he really did have my back through the whole thing. So it was really a combination of a couple of people. Um, Scott Vermeer was the one that looked at me and said, okay, we need this. And he wasn't necessarily thinking of a master's program, but um, once I got into it, uh, it was it was amazing. And Max was right there all the way through. Yeah, it's it's amazing when uh, I met Max at management school years and years ago. I think we were lieutenants. And, you know, when you see somebody and you think he's got that thing and he focuses on what is right. And Kristen, where did you meet Max? Oh, uh, where did I meet Max? When I went to That's a risky um, question. What huh? was what's that? What's that Ivy League school that I went to? Oh, Harvard. Oh, that's where I went. I went to Harvard uh, for three weeks. <laughs> Got it. Good to know. All the smart people. So Jessica, uh, Max Scott Vermeer nudged you, and 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 Max really uh, supported this effort. I think when you retire. When, when a lot of folks retire, the three of us have retired from our primary job. And some of us, Kristen's off speaking and influencing around the United States and really internationally about mitigating threats and harm. And I do speaking with healthcare and with other folks and executive development. And, you know, I'm a full-time cop again. Uh, and you are really influencing people in this coaching space. 
And do you think there's any validity to this notion that once you're a little bit older, you have a different wisdom and a different way of seeing the leadership landscape and the behaviors and characters that are necessary? Yeah, I think along with just time in the seat, you're, you have more to reflect on and look back. And I mean, you know, hindsight is, you know, 2020. So I think you're able to look back. I mean, I've, I think what's really interesting since I've retired, I, I say I've retired from law enforcement. I do not feel like I'm in retirement because that's a whole other follow up. I think that's a loaded word because I am, you know, doing this coaching stuff and, you know, full time with my kids and trying to stay focused on that. And um, so we're, we're keeping quite busy, but it's weird in the last year, I think I've had more brain capacity to really reflect on my entire career. And there were things that were happening in my career at the time I thought contributed to X, Y, or Z. Um, but as I'm reflecting, it's like, no, it's, it was a blend of things. It wasn't just the environment and the way people really thought about me or treated me, but it was also my response to that. And that's really where I'm kind of sitting in that space right now, kind of like, oh my gosh, if I only knew back then. And there were key moments in my history with lots of mentors that I had that helped support me along the way to point out that reflective piece. But um, yeah, it's an interesting space to be in, in the last year and a half. Yeah, without that's a doubt. absolutely remarkable. Go ahead, Kristen. Well, no, and I was just going to say it's interesting because we're in the same place. We both retired in 2021 and I really didn't um, understand. And they say that, you know, that our wisdom, you know, is, is youth is wasted on the young. And it's so true. But when you can sit and reflect and that's exactly what I did. And I started to realize here were my missteps. And uh, most of the time they were, you know, involving my reaction to something. And if I could do it all over again, but that's, you know, that's why they call it reflection, you know, and I absolutely agree with you about retirement. It's such a word that, you know, I, I want to just eradicate because I've a lot of people who have left a profession um, or a career have not retired in that sense. It's just give, it's just such a, a restful connotation. And many of us are still plugging along. So I appreciate you saying that. Jessica, you have really connected with folks about this space and about this work and in this work. What have you found to be super compelling or the most, the most um, frequent gap that folks have in terms of leadership right now? Yeah, you know what? I think the theme around communication and, and how to communicate, you know, making sure that your impact really matches your intent um, and, and so I have a few clients that um, are really struggling with, you know, they, they feel like being a direct communicator is, um, you know, in their value system and that's what they want to do. And, and I think they miss a piece to bring in. It's like, why are you being a direct communicator? Because you have a lot of passion around getting it right. It's really important that, you know, our officers are trained to do the right thing and that we're there to support each other. And so when they're such a direct communicator and it, and it, and it offends people and it comes off wrong, you know, they really got to own that. And it's like, how can you, and that's where the coaching skills come in is, you know, you, you wrap that in where you practice really deep intentional listening, where you suspend your own voice of judgment and kind of hit the pause button on your narrative and listen to what people are saying, listen to what they're not saying be curious longer. It's those types of things that I think need to be brought, you know, more into the workplace, especially around supervision. 
Sure, Kristen and I talk about this a lot. We talk about this, uh, Viktor Frankl, all, all of us have read Man's Search for Meaning, where Viktor Frankl offered that between stimulus and response lies choice, and therein lies our freedom, right? And the stimulus is someone asking a question, it is them presenting, it is the anger, it's rage, it's uh, anxiety, it's all the stuff that's out there in the environment. And between that stimulus and the response from a leader, that's where our freedom lies. That's where that secret sauce is, right? That's where the, just the magic is. So what you're talking about is a direct link to that. It's a link to this mindfulness practice that gets us to notice and to pause and to be in this space. So, okay, if that's the biggest gap, what are you doing with it? What do you tell all the hollow bunny podcast leaders about, you know, this space when they're thinking, wow, this is kind of what I struggle with. If they're thinking that, yeah. what do you, what do you, how do you coach that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think you, you meet them where they are because you have to find out what, how they perceive their own struggles. And, you know, there's always going to be some symptom described that if you sit with it long enough and help that person unpack it by asking really well thoughtful, you know, well thought out, open ended questions, it helps them go deeper and then really taps into the way that they're meaning making. You know, it, it gets to the heart of why do you think that? What evidence do you have to support that? Is it a limiting belief about yourself? Is it a message you were given years ago and you held on to it for dear life because you thought it, you know, it defined you and all of a sudden you realize that's, that may have been a little part of me, but that's not the whole package. And why am I focusing on this little part of me when there's so much more? So it really helps a person pull away, you know, when you're in it, you know, a fish doesn't know they're swimming in water, you know, but when you zoom out and you're able to take a look at the whole scaffolding of who you are, you could then have choice to draw forward those parts of you that are going to serve you better. You know, that compassionate piece that yeah. we all have that sometimes we, we leave on the back burner because we feel like, oh, if we're compassionate and we bring care or the word love into the conversation, we're weak. Or, or we're not strong enough, right? And it's like, no, that's a part of you. We need to bring all those things forward in our leadership. And then it's also the other piece of that for me is, is working really hard to walk my talk. And that's not easy to do. It's, I'm not saying this work is easy, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Wow, wow, wow. Do you, so do you sit beside people and have firsthand observation? Yeah, I mean, so one of the collateral kind of uh, consequences that's happening is, you know, just in my own relationship with my husband, you know, I'm trained to be a coach. I show up more coach like I'm not intending to sit and coach him or anything like that. But just last night, he made a statement and I reflected um, something back and just affirmed what he said. I just affirmed it. I didn't judge it. I didn't yeah. try to fix it. I just affirmed it. And he looks at me, he goes, are you coaching me? And I said, no, I don't need to coach you. I'm just supporting you, which is also a part of coaching, by the way. But it's, it, it wasn't that I was trying to do anything. So there, there are um, ways when you show up genuine to who you are, yes. when you put your emphasis on getting it right versus being right, and you shift it to a more collaborative mindset, then people are going to feel that and they're going to see you in a different light. You're going to hold space 
for the people that are in your family or the people that you work for you in such a different way, it's going to impact the, the culture and the morale and, and go all the way down to the policies and the way the officers feel when they go out into the field and they communicate with the public. I mean, isn't that what it's all about at the end of the day is making us more effective. So Jessica, you said something there that I want to draw out quickly uh, about, you know, the using, you know, compassion and the word, God forbid, love, you know, to show a little bit of vulnerability. Uh, they call those, you know, quote, soft skills, which is uh, so interesting because they're not soft at all. And, you know, and I find that especially as women in leadership, that, you know, that we're, we can a little more easily, you know, bring those in. But then when I think about the best bosses I have ever had, male or female, they have that quality. They show it's care and concern for people. So what do you say, and this is for both of you, for, for those that feel as though they can't show emotion or compassion or God forbid, use the word love. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you have to love your people more than you love your position. Word. And, and you know, it's met, yeah. Yeah, it's met with a little bit of like, whoa, love your people. But man, I mean, to me, that's that is the secret sauce. So, you know, why do we why do we view these as soft skills? Yeah, I hate the the reference that the soft skills are soft. Like I hate that that it brings around an idea of weakness. And there, there I remember a moment when I was acting police chief and we had uh, a traffic officer involved in a collision and had been transported to the hospital. And I went and checked on him and he's okay. And he's back riding his motor. So everything turned out, but um, it was, uh, we, we were getting a flood of concern from the officers in, I was coordinating with him and his family. And I had to put out an email to the department um, on his behalf. And in that email, the right thing to say was he really appreciates all the love and concern you're giving him. And I paused at the word love and thought, can I, should I say this? Is that, I just can't, I will never forget that moment that I'm contemplating in that space using the word love. And I went, heck yeah, I'm using the word love. That's exactly what is called for right here. And I put it out there and it wasn't a big deal and nobody even flinched, right? But in me, in my own meaning making, I thought, oh my gosh, is this going to be taken the right way or is this the right word? And I I think I'm going to judge it right now. I think when you show up caring about people as human beings, not best friends, you're not judging them in their work performance, that's a whole different ballgame, but you just respect and care about them as a human being, that's better. One, it feels better because every human being, unless you have some sociopathic diagnosis or something, everybody needs that. It's a fundamental human need to feel those things. And if you're in denial of that, well, then maybe coaching is definitely not the uh, space for you. I would highly recommend therapy there. Um, so if you're in denial of that, that's just, but it is just better. It just is more human. And that's what we need. That's what we need to focus on. Yeah, more humanism. It's the human condition. And it's so interesting that we are in the business of people, right? I I, I read this, um, there, there's a book by Kent Williams and Ed Wahickey. Um, I'm going to have to remember the name of it. Uh, but uh, they talk, they're both long time in, in, in law enforcement, and they talk about 
you know, what we do as police officers is we quote, serve and protect. And yet that he draws out that serve um, is, is sometimes we fall short in, in service. And we see that all the time, sometimes the way police officers treat people and protect that we're not really doing a great job. We love to believe that we are protectors, but if that were true, then crime wouldn't happen, right? And so what, what he posits is that we should deliver dignity to people, you know, in compassion. And no matter what the plight is, even if you can't prevent the crime, you can't quote protect. And I loved that piece. It's just kind of, it's turning the paradigm uh, ever so slightly. And because, because we are in the people business, we respond to people at their worst times. And as leaders, we also are in the people business. And so we have to show that compassion and we have to show up, um, you know, in that very same way for our people, if we expect them to deliver that dignity and compassion to those we serve. And, and I just, it's so hard for me to understand how people just don't get that. Yeah. Well, Kristen, you, you can't do that in a community if you have a fractured, caustic, toxic culture internally. And that's where I see coaching coming in, bringing that, that piece, teaching people to hit, hit the pause button. We tend to adopt a command and control style of management and leadership. And that, that, that is, we need more discernment. That is very necessary when the, you know, what is hitting the fan, but 99% of the other time, and depending on where you work, of course, that you don't need to treat your people with that, with that command and control. And that's, I think, where the lines get blurred in law enforcement, where we don't stop and say, what is really calling us in this moment? You know, as I work with my people internally or teach them how to do an investigation or review the reports or whatever the tasks are, it's within that space that we really have the opportunity to shift our perspective and be more human and more compassionate with each other and listen better and ask better questions and stay curious longer. Because when you have a healthier internal culture, then you have healthy, it's just like a family dynamic. You have a broken stuff going on in the family. The kids are going to show up and have problems at school. We see that in psychology and reports all the time. It's a similar thing. If you don't have people taking care of people internally, you cannot expect officers to go into the field and do that high level work and, and show people dignity when they don't feel like they're being given dignity by their own their own bosses. Right. Kristen does some some organizational assessments. And Kristen, haven't you found that that very thing that Jessica is talking about in terms of what degrades an organization? Oh, yeah. And this is speaking to what you were talking about earlier about reflection. I am now in a position where I go into police departments and I determine, you know, what their their strengths and their weaknesses are. And the weakness is always it's all always the same. It's just change the organization, uh, but it's always the same. It's the lack of care and concern from leadership. They just don't care about us and the failure to communicate. You know, we hear things from other places and, you know, and it's like those two things, just caring and communicating, you know, are so important in an organization and listen and this is one of the things i learned at harvard when i went there for three weeks is that leadership is about disappointing people at sometimes you're going to make decisions uh, that are going to they're going to upset people because you're setting policy you're holding people accountable you're doing all of the things you have to worry about internal stakeholders external stakeholders however if you communicate the why behind the do and you also put yourself in the place of those who are the ones who are going to be carrying out the policy you know and then in, and really think about that and explain it to them i find that most people in our 
organization say, okay, I, I understand that now. I may not agree with it. I may not be happy with it. You know, so that's also about leadership. It isn't just a, a love fest. It's also about making difficult decisions. And, you know, and, and the honest truth is those who want to be loved are going to be bad leaders. Those who are, are set on being feared are bad leaders. It's about being respected. And, you know, that's yep. the key. Yeah. Yeah, Jessica actually presented her findings. She did a, an action research project regarding managing coaching. And Jessica, you got to present those findings at Columbia University. Another Ivy League, Kristen Zeman, there you go. And so <laughs> J Jessica, really with, with those findings and how you presented your work there and you presented at the International Leadership Association Conference in Canada, big shout out to our peeps up in Canada. Uh, what what did you find in that action research? Did it did it really break apart this very thing that you're talking about? And then um, how, talk to us about that. Yeah, we were lucky to um, have a citywide um, assessment happening at the same time. So we had results from an assessment and we're able to look at our department results and um, you know, several of there were there were like a core four complaints, two of which you just mentioned that, you know, care and that communication um, that, you know, people didn't feel command staff really con were concerned for them. And so we had that data to, to kind of move forward with our intention in the project. And basically what the project was, I happened to be the captain over field operations at the time. So I brought that project and and asked for voluntary uh, participation from my uh, lieutenants in the patrol division and uh, a newly promoted sergeant, and they were all willing. So we embarked on how do we ourselves learn some co fundamental coaching skills and then go out and practice those coaching skills. We were already meeting once a week. So every other week, wow. we just added a little bit of time to the meeting to talk about our experiences regarding the research and what we're finding. And we just had our own experiences. Like, you know, if you have a somewhat disgruntled employee, you could pretty much guess what a conversation is going to be if you're going to confront them with something. So we would actually plan, what's the best way? What do you think this person needs from you to bring this hard conversation up with them? What do you think they need to feel uh, comfortable in this space so that they can actually open up and talk to you about it? So we would plan that and they would go then have those conversations and come back and I, their eyes would be like this, like, I can't believe it went well. Like, I didn't think it was going to go well. And we sat and we talked and there are some employees and I'm not saying this is a panacea. It is not a catch all for everything. There are going to be some employees that you are going to need to apply performance management. It just is a fact. They're not going to be receptive to coaching. Not everybody is, you know, in a, in a coaching mindset. So let me say that as an asterisk to the side. But the, they I think we were all pretty. Um, surprised at the positive results. And I was skeptical thinking, yeah, we'll see if this coaching stuff has any teeth to it. But man, when I started practicing it more, my people were practicing it more, and then other people in the organization started getting curious about it. And then we did another assessment, citywide assessment, a couple of years later, and we had higher marks. Things were not as bad. Now, they are they yeah. perfect? Are they ever going to be perfect? No, of course not. But they improved. And that's when I was hooked. I was like, okay, this stuff works. This is the real deal. And I'm in because it is amazing. 
I, I love what you uh, were talking about there because that is also one of the biggest failures in organizations, what I call lack of courageous leadership. Sitting down with people and, and having hard conversations with them. And that refers to the absence um, or the deficiency of bold and principled guidance from those in leadership positions. And that means having to sit down. And as you mentioned, sometimes it's performance, whatever it, it may be, but sitting down with people. And to me, that has been over my career, the best gift I have ever received as a leader who's sitting down with me and saying, hey, you're here, but in order to get to here, here's what you're going to have to do. And I very much appreciated that. But but these conversations are so difficult for people to have. And once we get more comfortable with them, I believe that not only are, are people going to get better, but that's how the entire organization gets better as a result of that courageous leadership. Right. You, you know, this all ties into this thing that we churn on all the time. And and for for each of our approaches, my core approach has been mindfulness, meditation as a pathway to mindfulness, staying present, giving people space, noticing the stimulus, the freedom that lies in that space between stimulus and response, and then responding in a way that is heart centered. It is it's not void of discipline. It's not void of the parameters of managing an organization. But it is, I am coming from a space of love. I love you enough to have this conversation with you and to give you my firsthand observations of how you're showing up. And so for each of us, we have that, right? And what I'm hearing so incredibly from you, Jessica, is how coaching and having a coaching center has advanced the way that you led, the way that you coach people to lead, and it's effective. I call I call it my give a shit factor. I just give a shit more than not like most people think is reasonable. Maybe that's maybe that that just works for me. So what I'm hearing is this coaching thing is really profound. It really is. And you know, it's funny the whole time I was working with it there, I was very aware and cognizant of I don't want this be to be perceived as my pet project, right? That I want, you know, true buy-in. I want these guys to be able to tell me, um, you know, is this distracting? Because the other thing about doing this research project internally to the to the department was, you guys know, we are all so very busy. Everybody's plates are overflowing with reports and tasks and audits and you name it. We are really busy. And so the last thing I wanted to do was to add so much more work to their plate. So what we what what coaching allows you to do is overlay a framework of the work that you already have to do. It's not adding work. It doesn't say you have to go out and have 10 times more conversations. It's really talking about the how. It introduces yeah. a framework so it incorporates in emotional intelligence, more effective communication. I mean, coaching really does touch on those things. So it's easy just to, to call it coaching and it's not professional coaching. It's not void. That's why we call it manager as coach. And really, I don't even know if that's the right way. It's more coach-like skill sets that, that I'm kind of, now that I'm doing professional coaching, I realized that as a manager, there were times that I recognized a conversation, didn't need my directive. It didn't need my expertise. It needed me to be a supportive, uh, you know, direct reporter, a supportive boss to the person coming to my office because I know they were working through the issue 
So I was able to say, okay, how does that, you know, you're, you're balling and rolling around with this idea to solve this problem. How does it land for you? What are the things you are concerned about? What do you, what's the worst thing that could happen if you roll forward with this idea? And really asking those questions to go a little bit deeper is a way to approach problem solving, which is in and of itself. I mean, that's one of the responsibilities we have to do as leaders in law enforcement is to problem solve hard problems and dynamic problems. And so to have that mindset, it really does open up a space where you can be more mindful, more thoughtful, a better listener to collaborate better. You don't have to be the one with all the answers all the time. You have a room full of really you know, intelligent, experienced professionals that if you know how to open the space up to ask for input and to think that even if the idea is kooky, thank them for the idea. It's information that you need when you're pro you know, doing these, this problem solving. So I love it for all those reasons. And, um, you know, it's, it's different when you're a manager because that's your primary role. It's not, I'm not asking people to be coaches and to, you know, relegate their, their position as a manager. It's not about that. It's how can you be more coach-like, more coach mindset to approach this? Wow. Well, I got to say that this has really stimulated a lot of thinking on, on my part about my responsibility. And, you know, Jessica, it's, it's amazing. You think you know somebody and then you dive in like we have just had this deep dive with you. And uh, I'm just totally impressed and moved by the work that you're doing and the continued endurance that you have to do the work and to contribute to help folks prepare for the rigors of the work. We, we have a responsibility. The speed in which things are occurring is different. The, the depth of disappointment, the capacity that leaders need to really engage with folks through difficulty and problems and dilemmas and all of this is really profound. I guess my final question for you, and I know Kristen has one, my final question for you is if there's one thing that leaders need to, to fill their bunny, do you have an idea of what that would be? There's an acronym that I came across in a book uh, about a month ago that I love, and it's called Take Your Meds, M-E-D-S, Meditation, Exercise, Diet, and Sleep. Those Ooh. are the fundamental pillars for everything else, for health, for everything else. You have to have those four pieces. Really, and, if, and if something's off or off kilter and not dialed in, it's going to be really hard for you to grow your capacity for the dynamic work uh, in law enforcement. And so I would say make sure that those fundamental pieces are under you and that you have that you know, squared away. And if that is squared away, then start somewhere with your curiosity around what you need to be better. Ask the question as a leader, what do you, to your staff, what do you need from me to be better serving you, to support you? And I don't hear enough leaders asking that question. You know, it's like, I'm happy to give feedback, but if there's not an opportunity, sometimes we hesitate and nobody's going to give a chief or a deputy chief feedback unless they're asking for it. So ask for that feedback and, and just take it and say thank you and then go chew on it and work with your coach to make meaning of it and to see what your next steps are. Yeah, so you're not going to say, so what evidence do you have to support that claim? Yeah. <laughs> you're walked, not going to say I've that. To, no, 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 no. Yeah, you're not going to say that. Yeah, no, I think that we, we all know that. 
think about the times where you're off kilter in your life and were those four pillars being upheld? Were those being, wow. you know, lacking sleep or not taking care of yourself or not eating well? Those things have to be dialed in before you could do anything else. So I would say take care of yourself. It's so, it's so important. It's interesting because when I talk to, especially police officers, their eyes kind of uh, roll into the back of their head when I start to talk about sleep and exercise, you know, and it's so interesting because in the book that Sil, Sil and I both love, uh, The Second Mountain uh, by Arthur Brooks, he talks about when, when there are, t there are going to be times where you fall out of love with your work. And so it, it's in those times that you have to build structure. Uh, and that structure is exactly that. There are those things taking care of, of yourself. And people don't recognize how much of that plays into the way that they respond to people in the in, in their workplace and you know in just how they perform their optimizing and decision making and that alertness. And people really they put themselves aside. They boast about how I only get, you know, I only need four or five hours of sleep and the, that is actually a, a complete falsehood and they're not performing. So so here, my, my last question to you is, you know, there are a lot of leaders uh, or, you know, people out there that want to be better leaders. And, you know, we talk about, you know, are leaders born or are they made? And, you know, what do you say to people that want to get better? And, you know, what is the first thing that they can do in that place right now is I, I know I need to get better. I know things to work on. What's the first thing that they can do? Just something small and incremental that can move them towards being a better leader. Yeah, I would say just being curious about where it is that they need to focus their attention. So reflecting on the feedback that they've been given and not just by the feedback in an evaluation from a frontline supervisor or a sergeant, but feedback of, about, you know, from people that they trust and looking for that common theme. So again, that idea of, of meeting people where they are, you have to have a true assessment of where you are and what is the most important thing for you to work on in that moment. So I knowing, hey, you know, I'm not a very strong communicator or maybe I, I don't lean in enough and take, you know, uh, on challenges or, or step up to um, opportunities like I should. If that's where you are, then look for the small places to, to step forward. There are podcasts that will support you. This podcast, there's tons of other podcasts that could be recommended, read a book, take a class online, talk to other people, you know, really start where you are, figure out where you are and pick something that works for you. It does, there's no right place to start with this journey. You don't have to go back and get a master's degree in leadership to improve upon your leadership. If you're curious about coaching, hit me up on my website and I'll connect you either with myself or another coaching colleague. Coaching is not there to fix people. It's there to elevate you. It's there to refine you. It, think about professional athletes, right? They have to practice and work and hone their skills. It's the same thing. If you're going to be really good at what you're doing, you need to be in the business of honing your skills and paying attention. So that's what I will say. I can go on forever about that. So I probably should cut myself we, off. <laughs> no, don't. So what is your website? Athenacoach.com. Athenacoach.com. Well, I got to say, you know, the borrowing from the book Atomic Habits, the aggregation of marginal gains, that tiny, that tiny little improvement that one makes, just like you recommended, that could be one, one chocolate chip in a bunny, right? It's filling one piece of, uh, you know, sweetness at a time, one movement at a time, one thing in that aggregation will really advance folks. Be intentional, be deliberate. 
That's the thing. Be intentional, be deliberate, have a plan. Perfect. So we've got your website. I also wanted to toss out because you mentioned read a book. The book that I mentioned earlier is called Breach Point by Kent Williams with Ed Wahickey. Um, Great book. Uh, so a great place awesome. to start. Yes. So thank you so much for being on our little podcast today, Jessica. Uh, we very much, uh, I, at least for me, my bunny is filled uh, as always uh, with our guests. So thank you for that. Thank you. And to all of our listeners out there, our bunnies, thank you, uh, as always, for showing up. This podcast is produced by Ted Madden, and the song you are about to hear is written and performed exclusively for the podcast by my handsome and talented son, Jake Zeman, and his accomplished friends. If you like our podcast, please subscribe, uh, review it, tell everyone you know about it. If you don't, just keep moving along. There's nothing more to see here. And don't forget to keep filling your own bunnies with substance and add substance to others. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you. When you look inside, what do you find? Are you content to fall behind? When you lose your way and you've lost your why? Have courage and get ready to fight the hollow buddy. the hollow buddy and we all feel hollow sometimes but the lobsters are only in your mind it's a tough pill to swallow but if you're brave and kind you'll be Do you